I'd like to invite you in a walk. Something happens when we transmit information in a single body over time. It's kind of impossible to say where something started. Part of this is the feature of some sort of concurrent evolution. If you have multiple parts that are nonetheless situated in the same container, in the same environment, whether that's in a similar ecological niche, in a less human habitat, or if it's a similar method of making your living in a utterly human habitat, you tend to converge on common solutions. So whether the nomadic steppe society is in the Great American Plains, or in Anatolia, or in Mongolia, they tend to converge on similar behaviors. Whether a four-legged predator, a four-legged ambush predator dealing with large herbivore predators, prey rather, dealing with large herbivore prey and needing to take them down is a cat or a marsupial matters little when they've got a similar environment to deal with when they've got a similar function so Despite this pattern, where it's kind of clear that our ideas, our thoughts, our styles of motion have probably been invented, so to speak, thousands, millions, billions of times. that we look for some point to attribute it to and maybe this is more common 
because of our history, of my history and your history, as people who are interacting through vast digital systems, of our history of creating time as something that we can coordinate around. as a sort of common point, a common problem. So with the rise of some sort of universalizing commerce norms, the kind of norms that might make you stand in a queue as opposed to skipping the queue and telling the person that seems to be in charge of the queue that you know their cousin and so that the order should be in some sort of clan-based status hierarchy based on the actions of the last couple years combined with the relationships of who you know. So all that is relegated in favor of time, where you might queue based on what time you arrived. And that's something that allowed people in Europe to organize themselves away from their typical familial ties, their clan and tribal ties, along something like a clock. And from this clock, also the common value in money, in some sort of abstract capital that was disconnected from your standing in your web of relationships. So over time this may have allowed for more individuality because now you were not as easily defined as I experienced as a child by who you're father was, or who your family was, or where your family was from, or what your family did for subsistence, but by what you did. And from there, especially in a society that values some sort of eternal store of value, from what you did to aspects of what you are, to a personality. Elsewhere I've mentioned that a person is a mask. Notice that I just said I mentioned that, yet that's just my interpretation of looking at the etymology of the word and noticing that it once meant 
mask according to people who we might call linguists and historians. So I don't really know where that's from. This idea that a person is a mask and a mask is an object. But I have said it. So, maybe at some point we went from attributing whatever's going on to the situation, which you might find in societies that have a more common causal explanation of how things came to be that might sound more mythological or magical to where something is the way it is because some sorcerer or group of sorcerers did it or a spirit or a god or a demon though as I separate that I feel like it's important to remember that our own explanations follow the same structure we might often say because science or because physics or because and we might refer to the chapter of a textbook that we read when we were in high school but underlying that is usually some form of I don't know so I'm going to make up a story now that transmits the information about this pattern that I find important. So, again, something eternal, something that doesn't change, something stable happens as we conquer time with clocks, with calendars, with measurements. It gives us the appearance of something that does not change. And from that we might derive explanations for things that happen based on the personality of individuals, based on traits of individuals. And so in this way, uh, individual might offer themselves up as a sort of representative sacrifice where in the past maybe you would have had to be a sorcerer or have a reputation as a sorcerer to take that kind of responsibility on now because of the individualism in our society we are all forced to take on that responsibility uh, fun, similar etymological journey with responsibility is that it's about who's ready to make a sacrifice again, who's ready to make an offering again, which I think speaks to this relationship 
with uncertainty, with change, where the only action that you might be able to do is to offer something up or in sacrifice, hoping to trade with the gods, hoping to trade with the spirits, hoping to trade with this world that you don't understand to make it more stable, to make it more understandable. So this mass personification in individuals has required us now to be ready to make up that offering, to make up that sacrifice, but we don't know what we're sacrificing to anymore. Not that we ever <laughs> did, but at least you'd have a, a story that everyone would match. And now there is no clear story that everyone would match as easily if religion and mythology and all these stories were things that followed the vague rules of yes and, which is about also how children play their games. This stick is a gun. Yes. And this leaf that I have over here is a magical cape. So... Those rules, which improvisers follow to keep a sort of improvised play going. It's not an accident that they're all called various forms of play, I don't think. That has somehow stopped. Uh, we've introduced no into things, which brings to mind the Garden of Eden in the Bible. In Genesis, the knowledge of good and evil, the ability to go one and zero, to say no instead of yes. So... When someone tells a story about what's happening, we might say no instead of yes, which stops the flow for a moment, and maybe stopping this, this flow of creativity, of thought of movement, is similar to damming a river. So maybe that's what the, do, the no is doing. It's not that it actually declares things non-existent, because that's not possible. <laughs> uh, notice how I just said not possible. So maybe those no's, the declaration that something doesn't exist is simply damming up the flow in some area to be directed into some other area in the same way that people might dam up rivers to direct the water to agricultural projects that they might have or water mills whatever you use your water for so maybe that happens mimetically as well so we say those other gods don't exist so that we can all put that energy up into the idea of this one god, 
so that we create a larger brain, a larger collective. So now that that large collective has lost its one god, we are converging, well, we seem to have converged, on the valley of money, and underneath that, the counting of time, and counting in general. As well as the person, the mask, of an individual with these things being the more common forms of explanation that are given. And with time, what we cooperate based off of. So if I tell you to show up somewhere at 2 p.m., you know what that means. And you can, we can coordinate somehow based on that, even though Perhaps, for most of human history, you would coordinate based on the sun's notion of time. Whatever that is. Or the weather. When I was in Brazil, there were no dryers. So, based on that, my relationship with time changed in the sense that now I had to track when things were dry, dry enough to hang clothes up to dry. And that was very different, though I'd experienced it before in the field, in the military, living according to the whims of the weather, and whether sunlight gets to you more directly. That's pretty different from living according to the clock. So these traits that we perceive in ourselves and others that might be tied in some way to this eternal clock that we now create at every second, that has a way of saying no to much of the creation you might find in the people around you and assigning it to a specific person. So, if we take our example of the kids playing and one says the stick is a laser gun and the other says this big leaf over here is a cape, maybe a third guy comes along and says, actually, that's not a cape. Only Charlie wears capes. And so, every time someone wears a cape, that means it's from Charlie. So we have this going on in all our groups now where I might read something from 
5,000 years ago and have some thoughts based on that. The writer Ruth Ozeki mentions some story about how Greeks thought when you read a book you were having the writer's spirit come out and possess you, essentially. And so you might have something like that going on, that interaction between you and a dead person. And so you come up with an idea. You come up with an idea. And you mention it, or you make a decision based on that thought, on that meme. And because you're a well-liked person by your friends, your friends then start attributing this meme to you. So that's one thing that can happen. Another is maybe I watch a TV show and on that TV show they use a meme. Most recently one of my friends had been watching some TV show where on that TV show they say huzzah a lot, which is an English word. But because of the context of the TV show, he thought that maybe it was something the TV show created. And po- and if not created, at least popularized. Though a quick look at Google Engrams, which is the Google service that looks at the frequency of words in English print from the 19th century all the way up to 2019 will show otherwise. So that's another thing that happens. Basically, you have a set number of people in your attention, and for a lot of people, I think I mentioned this in another podcast, some teacher saying something like the most popular girl in class was not a girl in class, it was Taylor Swift. So now we're in such an environment. So you might be more inclined to attribute unoriginal thoughts to whoever your local celebrity is. And I say local celebrity, I don't necessarily mean in the physical local space. In fact, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in in your bubble, in your view. So like among the podcasters you listen to, among the news reporters you listen to, among the writers that you read, among the magazines you read, among your professors. So if there is a meme, you might attribute it to one of those instead of maybe even the last 10 sources before that. Which seems to follow some sort of power law thing, the pattern where... In a space, in a market, over time, all the benefits, all the attribution goes to a few players. So, let's say 
BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, has a very dominant athlete named Gordon Ryan. And maybe because Gordon Ryan studied under John John Danaher, and he is clearly influenced by him very strongly, and John Danaher is positioned in, or he was until very recently, positioned in New York, which is a place with lots of travelers and where lots of people from all over the world go to train BJJ. So let's say that John Danaher paying attention to all the entire scene of BJJ synthesizes that metis, that practical knowledge into something that can be explained in a legible way, something that can be explained in a way that is easier to track and transfers that information to Gordon Ryan and Gordon Ryan uses that to win and because he wins so much now whenever he does something it's no longer just a description of that thing or maybe a movement that was done very frequently by parts of the BJJ community but most of the BJJ community didn't see it now that's Gordon Ryan's move so that would be an example of a power law in place in markets you see it with corporations slowly getting monopolies and oligopolies in spaces it often results in a lack of diversity over time though as that beneficiary of the power law is rising they're usually paying attention to everyone which is how they're able to do so well in the first place but the attribution of that doesn't go to the commons it doesn't go to the public it goes to the individual or the smaller group which isn't really a problem until you live in a society that uh, provides support for your subsistence only if you can sell something back to it. So, if there is no attribution to the collective, then over time the collective will be less inclined to produce the situations necessary to come up with a power law winner in the first place. Because it might dry out in the same way that if you go from growing 100-something different plants in an area to growing one plant that has a way of using up the soil. And there's a, a fear that people seem to have that 
these parallel winners will come along and they will take your stuff and they will take credit for your stuff and they'll make money off of it and you'll be left with nothing monetarily or even in obvious attention you might be left with nothing and that's sort of true but if you recall the thing about dams say you have detected the flow and you know where the river is then you can always go back to the river even to a point that is not dammed up though whatever you get from the river at that point will not look quite the same as what comes out of the dam so going back to a BJJ example say seven eight nine years ago you got in early on this leg lock train um, or you know, say even 15 years ago say you're Dean Lister who started doing leg locks really early back when it was kind of low status to do leg locks and when people said they wouldn't work so you did it and you were one of the people that did it and then you and the other leg lockers got together a lot and you talked about it and you did it to each other and so you advanced the leg lock game but then 2012 comes along Eddie Cummings, a student of John Danaher, goes on to take the world by storm, the BJJ world, by leg locking a whole bunch of people in no-gi situations. And then, after that now, whenever someone sees a leg lock, they're like, ha, John Danaher. Gordon Ryan. Those people just do leg locks. Even though there have been people who've been doing it elsewhere for years. And you might also trace the monetary comp compensation that people get for that. And undoubtedly, Dean Lister and his contemporaries who, whose names we don't even know probably don't receive as much money for that for their work towards advancing leg locks that John Danaher does for advancing leg locks so that might happen but say you are one of those people now if you were on the edge and if you noticed that leg locks technically worked, they got the job done, and they were interesting, and they were cool, and they were fun, back when no one else thought they were fun, when people thought they were stupid, if you did it then, chances are you're doing something else now. You are... Playing in some space, if you're still connected to the river that led to you 
choosing to do leg locks 15, 20 years ago that would result in uncommon things. Because right now, if you go to leg locks, everyone knows about them. That's a dam. The moment someone is selling something, that's sort of a dam in a river. It means we've already stopped the flow over there and said, here is this thing that can be easily categorized and labeled and sold. So if you're on that edge, if you are still in touch with the river from where we get the dams, then the moment someone like a power law winner comes around and builds a dam and starts selling the water from the dam, you can just go upstream or downstream, wherever you want on the river really, and draw out of it and when you draw from the parts of the river that aren't the dam you're probably coming up with something that sounds newer that people aren't into that they would not think will work because no one has given sufficient attention to it yet in the BJJ world that might be something like defensive BJJ or having a game based on giving up your back, which, again, using a BJJ example, Jeff Glover was a, well, he is a, like a 5'7", 145-pound BJJ competitor that used to compete a lot against bigger people, and he frequently gave up his back all the time. And now if you talk to people about him, they're like, Yeah, that's just Jeff Glover. No one else can do that. But, sure, people said that about leg locks once. And there's probably a way for you to study what Jeff Glover was doing and build a dam out of that. that. So you could start basically profiting off of Jeff Glover's work. And undoubtedly... Jeff Glover himself was exposed to other people who were doing similar things. Probably thousands of unknown people in Brazil. So whenever you might experience a fear of missing out on credit or of unnoticing that people are giving credit to power law winners and that you know where their sources might have been and where there are many other sources who might have said the same thing rejoice because you know where the source is you can go find something else there it's yours and it's mine